Well, thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Jeremiah, and we are talking with Coaches Corner. These are church coaches working with churches and pastors across our nation. I want to welcome Bob Jones and John Alveston. Both are coaches with the Alberta Northwest Territories District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. <sighs> That's a mouthful. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about this concept of a discipleship pathway. We've, we've been hearing it for a few years, um, and I just want to, I want to get into it here. And what is, what does it look like? I, I, you know, I've been talking to some churches and asking them this question, what is your discipleship pathway? And it's just like, I get these blank stares, <laughs> you know, hey, why why don't churches have one? Should they have one? Why is it a good idea? John, why don't you take the lead on that question? Yeah, well, I think we've got some a lot of historical baggage that's holding us back. Um, and we're a lot more like medieval Catholics than we'd like to admit. <laughs> uh, that we've got a very liturgical and sacramental understanding of the church, that church and the Christian life is going through a certain amount of rituals we do on Sunday morning. We sing, we pray, we do this, we do that. Um, and that's the Christian life. And as long as you're doing those rituals, that's what Christian maturity is. Now, in theory, we got past that in the Reformation, but not so much in practice. Hmm. And so even though the Great Commission is to make disciples, we haven't really clearly thought about, well, how does one actually do that? And the way I like to break it down to people is that our job fundamentally as churches and as leaders is to take Joe Pagan and make him look like the Apostle Paul, someone who is far from God, doesn't know God, doesn't care about God, and see them transformed into someone who has the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, and the priorities of Christ. But, and after 2,000 years, we should be really good at this, but we're not. And we just haven't thought that through 90% of the time. How does Joe even find out that we exist? A lot of times we haven't thought about it. Why should Joe even care? Well, I know why Joe should care. We know the living God. In him, we have new life, new purpose, new mission, um, new fulfillment. Okay, did we tell that to Joe? Does Joe know what that's about? Like, what is that path? And we just kind of, you know, well, we're doing our medieval rituals. Um, it should just happen by accident. Well, things don't happen by accident. Some of the primary ways that churches I see discipling uh, is through, you know, they're just their Sunday morning. You know, I get up and I preach and I, I talk at you. Bob, can you talk to me a little bit about why that might not be the best way uh, to make a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Well, listening to John uh, brings to mind uh, one of his phrases that I love, where he talks about uh, our discipleship um, strategy is really the whole concept of spray and pray. So we kind of spray the message out on Sunday morning, everybody hears it, and then we pray and hope that it, it sticks, that they learn something and they can do something and they get behavior. I mean, I've been a pastor for 40 years. I think that I was guilt, uh, you know, guilty of that. I don't sure what phrase to use, but I certainly did that. I counted a lot on Sunday morning because I could see people. I saw them engaging. I saw them taking notes. I believe that I was um, 
Like I knew in my mind that you can't disciple people in a large group. Discipleship happens best in relationship, and that's in small groups. But in my mind, Sunday mornings, preparation, Bible passages, Jesus words, uh, preaching with uh, anointing, that I figured, you know, that was about 80% of our discipleship. Um, and it wasn't until the realization that, no, there needed to be some systematic aspects to help people know the steps, learn the steps, and take them. Um, and one, one of the things I think sometimes that holds people and pastors back in creating a pathway is they make it too complicated. They try to create something original. We don't need original, right? Because Christianity comes down to like just the, the core basics of to believe and to worship and to grow and to serve and to share. That's it. And if you can help people do those things, then you get to a person uh, where they, they find in their life how they can live for Jesus. And I think the other thing, too, is that we're, at times we're scattered in what we call our priorities. Uh, priority, by definition, is singular. Uh, and Jesus had one priority, make disciples. And our priorities kind of get in the way of Jesus' priority. And, and when we make that um, our focus, our priority, uh, we create a pathway that's intentional, and we help people take it, and we just help people continue to go through that, make disciples, we make disciples, we make disciples. So, John, you talked about the pathway from, you know, someone who doesn't know God to someone who is, you know, the Apostle Paul, who's fully devoted, who's Talk to me a little bit about the process from the moment where somebody, you know, puts up their hand or says a prayer or makes a decision to follow Christ to becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. What does, you know, what would that type of pathway look like in your mind? Well, fortunately, we can look at the Gospels um, for some really good clues on this. Um, now, a lot of us, and this was me for many, many years, only looked at the Gospels as a source for doctrine. Um, what kind of theology can I get out of this? And not looking at the Gospels as a source for method. If our job is to make disciples, that's what Jesus commissioned us, maybe we should look at how did Jesus disciple the disciples? What are the methods that he actually used? And for years and years, I mean, I read the Gospels many, many, many times over, but never asked myself that question, how is Jesus discipling the disciples? And when you look at how he's discipling the disciples, a method definitely emerges. Uh, there's a book out there. It's not a very big book um, written in the uh, early 60s called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert E. Coleman. It's still in print and deserves to be still in print because it's brilliant. And all the reason why it's still relevant today is because that's all Robert E. Coleman did. How is Jesus discipling the disciples? How does he get people far from God to be Christ-like? And it's a real simple kind of thing. Come and watch. Let's do together. And then you go do while I watch. Um, and so we can see Jesus doing that method. Um, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 um, uses the metaphor of how we grow up. Um, now, when we grow up and grow biologically, we start off as children, then become teenagers, and then become adults. And so when I was a child, somebody had to feed me. When I became a young man, I fed myself. But when I became a father, I fed others. And John in 1 John 
breaks the Christian walk down to this, where he talks to little children, he talks to young men, he talks to spiritual fathers. And we need to very deliberately move through those, those stages, which we often haven't thought about. So when someone's a spiritual child, um, yes, they need teaching, they need feeding, they're incapable of feeding themselves. Now, the problem with a lot of our churches is 90% of our churches do 100% of their programming at spoon feeding children. So Sunday morning, for example, I'm talking, you're listening, I'm spoon feeding you. Oh yeah, but then afterwards I'm uh, listening to a podcast where somebody else spoon feeds me. Or maybe I watch religious TV where somebody else spoon feeds me. Maybe I'm reading a book where somebody else spoon feeds me. When do we ever learn to crack the spine of the book and feed ourselves? Um, so we're really weak on making that first jump from children to young adults, to young men. Now, when we're in a young men phase, okay, so now we're opening up and feeding ourselves, which is so super important because the Bible is the only book on planet Earth where whenever you read it, the author is sitting beside you. So that's super critical that we deliberately move people from spiritual little children to spiritual young men, as um, the Apostle John talks about. But then, yes, it's great that you're feeding yourself, but that's not the end game. The end game is spiritual reproduction. And what makes the difference between a young man and a father is not age. What transforms a young man into a father is reproduction. And spiritually, it's not enough just because, okay, I'm feeding myself. Now I'm really knowledgeable. Now I'm mature. No, I'm not. I'm not mature until I've reproduced. And we need to be very intentional about how we're doing our small groups, our volunteering, how we're running our church so that we are deliberately moving people from little children to young men, young men to spiritual fathers, that that reproduction is happening. Bob, you mentioned that discipleship doesn't go well or happen well in large group or large gatherings. Talk about some environments where discipleship can, can take place and happen well. Well, hopefully this is one of them. Uh, people listening to this, uh, we're kind of what John was saying. This is the, the the spoon feeding. But when you when you think on this and reflect on the conversation, that's huge. You know, discipleship really can happen anywhere. I think about uh, Pastor Gary Tatinger. We hear him all the time talking about his grandkids and and how even this past summer he took his grandkids on an adventure, and then in the evenings he was going to teach them hermeneutics. Uh, he wanted them to understand the Bible and how to take good things out of the Bible. So here's these elementary age kids with their grandfather, and he's discipling them. He's helping them uh, be able to feed themselves, uh, like as John says. Uh, so discipleship really happens in relationships. So it can happen anywhere. It can happen on on-site uh, groups, uh, Bible studies, home groups, um, dinner tables. Uh, that's one of the greatest places, dinner table conversations between a, a parent uh, and and their kids just talking about life and how how the Bible would apply uh, to life, how verses might apply to life. You know, here's what I was reading today in my Bible. How many children hear their parents say that? Um, besides on a Sunday, perhaps those small things add up to a lot. Um, I think the other major place though is online. The ability to engage people online, and I think we're pretty good at thinking about um, uh, the idea of on-site pathways but the whole idea of online digital pathways um, so before covid hit uh nikki gumbo who founded alpha 
um, was adamant against having Alpha online. And uh, he didn't believe that you could build authentic community. And then COVID hit, and then we had no other options. And at the end of March, um, they started to train online leaders. And Nikki Gumbel changed this whole perspective. When he saw what was happening um, online in an Alpha group, because between March and June, 1,500 Alpha groups went online in Canada alone. And he saw that you could build authentic community online, that people could be vulnerable, they could engage with each other, that they could learn about Jesus. Um, and so sometimes we shut our minds to possibilities for discipleship environments, like online. Uh, but my own personal experience have just uh, affirmed what Nikki Gumbel learned, that online is a great place. Uh, to, you should be discipling people, thinking your own discipleship pathway for that. Well, and I think online gives us lots of different opportunities, particularly when it comes to, to, to learning things. Um, I, I think about back in the old days, um, when I watched TV, what I would have to do is know when a show was coming on. And like there was a little book that came in a newspaper, a TV guide. So I needed to know what day and at what time that show was on schedule it in my life, make sure I wasn't doing anything and go to the TV at that time. And if I couldn't, I guess I didn't see that show. And maybe in a few years time, it would show up in reruns. <laughs> um, you know, then things move because technology moved that, hey, actually I can put uh, a tape in a VCR and tell it when the show was coming on. Well, now I don't even have TV. If I want to watch a show, I'll just watch it now when I want it. Why would I have to wait for a specific time on a specific day to get some information? Um, the problem is with a lot of us churches is we're still in the old three channel black and white TV understanding of content. And uh, that if you want to learn, if you want to grow, well, I guess you're just going to have to wait for a specific time on a specific day. And if you miss that time, too bad for you. So if you want to build a discipleship pathway and, you know, you're, you really, you're really, think, well, yeah, we kind of do this and that. We have like, you know, a couple of classes or, but not really much. You know, one of the things that I, I recommend is that you start with really looking at what does a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? Uh, what actions and attitudes towards those actions are, you know, do you want to see in someone who would be fully devoted? So I'm, Paul talks about, you know, giving. Okay, yeah, we want to see that. But then he talks about cheerful giving. So there's an attitude and an action that go hand in hand. And so I challenge pastors, okay, what, what, give me, you know, usually it's about five things. We want to see them, you know, spiritual disciplines. We want to see them growing in community. We want to see them serving. We want to see them, you know, you know outreach into their, into their community and, you know, talking and telling and, and personal evangelism. So usually it's those kinds of things. Okay. So those are the actions. These are the attitudes. So this is what that person looks like. Um, so now we look at, and what you talked about, John, is those, those phases. So what is that? What does spiritual discipline look like as a little children? What does it look like as a, as a young man? What does it look like as a spiritual father? What about, you know, outreach? What about, you know, being in community? So looking at those areas, but in those phases, and then looking at the environments in which we can help grow. And for some, it's in small groups. We talked about online. Um, others might be in, in volunteering, you know, that sometimes we, we, you know, we have people come and we, we have them serve in our church, but we really don't utilize uh, those opportunities 
to disciple them. And, and one of the things uh, that we often say is that we don't use people to accomplish tasks. We use tasks to develop people. So when it comes down to discipleship, that we would take, you know, those people that are on our worship team or in our usher and greeting team or even on our board. And they're not there just to, you know, to fill a role in the church. No, that they're there to be discipled. And so if we have this idea of a fully devoted follower and then we have this kind of phased approach, what does that look like along these phases? And then we look at these environments, online, um, small groups, uh, volunteer when that happens and how can we begin to work with people i really believe that we'll see uh we'll see discipleship in in our churches i think sometimes we just haven't spent a lot of time doing some clear thinking about what that mature disciple looks like and i I think of it as like if i gave you a, a pencil and a piece of paper and asked you to draw a wombat how well would you do well, we live in Canada. We don't have wombats. Uh, I know it's some kind of Australian animal. It's not a kangaroo and it's not a koala. But if I'm a little bit fuzzy about exactly what a wombat is, I'm going to have a real hard time drawing one. Um, and I think it's the same way with us is if we haven't sp- spent um, enough time thinking about, well, what does a mature Christian look like? someone who has the heart of Christ, the mission of Christ, the character of Christ, the priority of Christ. What do we expect them to be doing when it comes to their spiritual disciplines? Um, What kind of community engagement would we expect from them? What kind of volunteering in the church would we expect them? What kind of knowledge would we expect of them? If we're not clear on that, we're going to have a horrible time trying to draw that um, and create that. Um, if there's no blueprints for the house, man, it's going to be tough to build that house. I think the other thing too, Jared, is that um, we sometimes silo how we do discipleship. We think discipleship needs to be in a class or formalized with a workbook. Um, and the idea of what John said earlier and the idea of, you know, if you're an usher, uh, that's your discipleship. That's, that's part of my following Jesus. So being a disciple is not compartmentalized or segmented. It's your whole life. It's what you do at work, what you do at home, what you do at church. It's how you engage other people. It's how you think. As you said, it's about your attitudes uh, and how you engage other people. Um, in discipling, like Jesus spent time with people. He spent time with his disciples. So they heard him laugh. Like Jesus was a funny guy. He had a great sense of humor telling camel jokes. Um, and Sometimes people think that uh, mature believers um, should act in a certain way and that they should be serious and they're all business uh, and they're studious and they just miss so much of the vibrancy and the richness of of Jesus and and how you can be a whole person uh, and live out your life for Jesus wherever you are. So whether it's ball hockey on a Tuesday night in a church gym um, or whether it's um, Sunday morning. Uh, helping as a greeter, uh, whatever you're doing, it's all discipleship. It's all intentional, and you're becoming like Jesus in every choice you make that is like Jesus. And I think where where discipleship is lacking in churches, it's because there's a lot of assumption going on. We're assuming that people are becoming disciples because we saw them on Sunday, or they attended a group and watched a right now media video, and so we make a whole lot of 
assumptions and not only for adults, but even for, uh, for our kids and for our, our teenagers that we're assuming that they're becoming uh, more like Christ because they are around rather than using intention. And intention makes us be, you know, we're specifically asking questions, guided questions about what God is saying to you. We're listening to what people are, are, are saying. We're, we're being intentional about you know, utilizing our, the times where people are, are involved, whether it's through volunteering, to not just have them come and play bass, but to actually have them engaging in, in growing and becoming like Christ through, you know, answering questions and, you know, like what John said, feeding themselves, cracking open the spine of the Bible, we're moving them down that path. So it, it really comes down to, is there intention or is there assumption? And pastor, I want to challenge you today to really look into how can you be intentional about discipling? I want to just finish up here with this idea of maturity being reproduction. John, you talked about that when you said like the difference between a young man and a spiritual father is re reproducing. And I think in, when we talk about discipleship and we talk about, you know, mature Christians, oftentimes in churches, we just, we kind of think, well, those are the old people. <laughs> the old people are the mature people. What what really should we be grading as spiritual maturity when it comes to people in our church? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. Uh, our, our default position is often maturity equals tenure, um, but uh, biblically speaking, maturity equals reproduction. Certainly, First John chapter two makes that clear. With the difference between a young man and a father is that reproduction element, and even the word maturity. You know, if we can think back to when we were in grade seven in health class uh, and we were first, you know, looking at pictures of fallopian tubes and all that kind of stuff, when we were learning about maturity, um, maturity was that ability to reproduce. So that's what biological maturity is, is connected to reproduction. Well, spiritual maturity also needs to be connected to reproduction, that it's not just about me knowing lots or me being here for a long time, uh, maturity is that producing fruit, being fruitful, producing that spiritual offspring that not only am I following Jesus, but I'm having others following him as well. Yeah, I would, I would just simply add that sometimes we associate maturity with knowledge. So the more you know about the Bible, the more verses you memorize. Um, I think Jesus associated maturity with love, the ability to measure in your behavior. You'll know a tree or a, a something by its fruit and uh, the fruit of Jesus being in you is going to be love how you engage with your neighbor your family other people it's not just your head knowledge it's your it's how you live out from your heart and so maturity is those soft touches it's not about age and as John said you know you can have a you can have a, a person who's 80 years old who's been in the church for their whole life um, and they can still be as it were two years old in terms of their spiritual maturity because their behavior uh, doesn't reflect uh, compassion or empathy or love. And you can take a teenager uh, who is learning how to change and forgive other people and get over their trauma from their past, how to deal with that and heal. Uh, and they express in their hearts an unconditional, non-judgmental uh, acceptance uh, and love for other people. So it's not about age. It's not about knowledge. It's not about cognitive behavior. It's about your heart behavior and engaging with other people on an authentic level. So, Pastor, where is your church at? 
where are you? You know, are, are you, is your church full of, you know, believers who act like babies? <laughs> or do you have mature followers of Christ who are reproducing and other disciples and, and they're loving people and they're loving their neighbors and they're seeing people come to Christ? And that's a tough question because I, I would venture a guess that probably a lot of our churches would be, people would come, they'd show up, but beyond that, we're not seeing much. And that, that, that moves you from assumption, assuming, to actually being intentional. So we've talked a little bit about some ideas and how you can be intentional. You can look at, you can draw that map out. of What does a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? You can look at those stages that John talked about. And you can look at the environments in which that can happen. Small group environments, one-on-one environments, and becoming intentional about moving people along. You know, I, I think we can all agree here that that discipleship, this is what we do. John, you said that. Our whole job, you know, if, if, we, can, if we can take the puzzle, dump it out in front of you and, and give you the box top so you can put the puzzle together. Our whole job is to see people, Joe Pagan, people who are far from, from God, who don't know God, to becoming fully devoted followers. The Apostle Paul on the mission of Christ, serving Christ, uh, representing Christ to the world. And so that's what we want to see for every single church across our nation. And guys, thanks again for being here and talking to us about Discipleship Pathway. And thanks for joining us as well. Until next time.